I didn't have a plan, but I was open to, wide open to trying things. And then I just, when I did try things, I worked as hard as I could. I was sure that I was going to be fine. And I was totally like compelled to do more of it. You know what I mean? It was like, hey, look how I opened this restaurant and everybody's coming and they're eating and they're whatever. I'm going to do it more. It's Ruthie Sullivan. Welcome to this week's episode of the Ruthie Podcast, where I interview everyday women to learn how they're making a living, listen to highlights of their current career, points and pivots they made along their personal and professional journeys, and the individual story behind it all. Join me and see how successes, failures, obstacles, and triumphs come together and offer courage to ask, now what, as they meet life right where it's at. Today, I'm interviewing Karen Harding. She owns several successful Portland, Oregon restaurants. Not everyone leaves home young and creates a life like she did. Meet Karen. Today, I'm interviewing Karen Harding. We're in Willamina at her house cabin. What do you call it? House cabin? It's old. It was built in. I heard you talking about it. Yeah, it's a house cabin. It's good. It's incredible cozy. Kind of born of a cabin, I think. Born of a cabin. What year did you say? Originally 1880. And then I think just like 2010, it got renovated is what I think is true. Oh, okay. And then it's on 40 acres. And the guy was like some old trapper lived here for a long time. Um, I don't know. It's a beautiful place. I happened. Oh, serene. Uh, it's, yeah, it's crazy how I ended up here, but it, um, it, it's changed my life for sure. How did you end up here? I was uh, I was dating someone that had grown up in North Carolina. You know, she her family picked particular things that they sent to the florists and stuff, like filler plants yeah. or something. Yeah, like amongst all the poisonous snakes and stuff. You know, but anyway, <laughs> she'd grown up in the um, in the mountains and in North Carolina and. Um, and we were dating, like we, we both had a kid the same age and we went camping and then I got a pile of, um, newspapers to try to start a fire because we were camping and I didn't, you know, we weren't that ready. We, it was spontaneous. And then, and it was in battleground Washington and I sat down and I was like trying to start a fire with these little free papers I had gotten at the grocery store. And then I looked at it and it was a really small paper and it had, but it had these two listings in it. And one of them was this house on 39 acres. This has a lot of amenities. I mean, we have two bridges, we have a three car garage with an apartment that was framed out. Like, well, um, and you have that swimming hole up there. And yeah. I mean, in trees and that and wasn't like things were, had been left for like a few years, you know, they'd nobody had been out here really. But um, but people that knew it was out here and, you know, ran in here and used it. But anyway, we came out and looked and it was just like 300, you know, it was affordable. And so I didn't really have enough money, but I sold a house and bought this house and it took a lot of finagling. And, um, and then quickly we broke up, me and this person within like nine months. And I was left with this, I mean, she knew a lot about how to have property and what to do with trees and you know but I was running restaurants you know so well for a long time I only this was 2013 I came out here only on the weekends but anyway and then after I figured out 
that I could figure it out. Um, I got in the <laughs> pond once to do something and I got stuck in the pond. Like I got stuck in it because I didn't know. Like it's, and you know. You got like, silt on the bottom of the. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how it yes. gets stuck. I had those. Yeah. It was scary. But anyway, that's how I ended up with it. And it was awesome. And it's, and I'm lucky to still have it through the, you know, through COVID. And, oh, yeah. And not paying for it for a long time. Oh, <laughs> wow. It's become really, I've just become a different person. Like, I know when the iris are going to bloom, the wild iris, and I know when the wild orchids are going to bloom. And I know when to know that an owl is down by the creek because the birds start chirping and diving. And I don't know, it's been really, it's cool. I've been, have had kind of a crazy, frenetic lifestyle. And then it just, and a few different relationships. And after that relationship, I didn't get in another big relationship. I just started having kind of more of a relationship with myself out here, you know, yeah, in between running restaurants. So I had a friend, she would say, I'm, you know, summarizing, but basically people would get to know themselves if they would touch the earth and be with nature more. Yeah. I mean, I've always been interested in but now I'm just crazy for it. Like, you walk around like I'm 58 years old. Like, you see something you've never seen and it's there. You just you just have to be quiet long enough to, you know, you have to be in a situation where you're, I don't know. I don't know if they're all over the place, but I'm saying I've found a lot of just things that I'm just like, I didn't know this was going on, you know, like. You didn't so, take time to notice, Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I've raced around quite a bit. I've always been interested in nature. Like, it's called to me for sure. And, uh, you know, and I, I play music. And, I mean, that's that's been a draw to me the in nature. But I like having had this place by way of that relationship. And maybe that's how that why that relationship came along for me. Because I never would have bought this place, you know, like on my own. I never would have been like, sure, I'll have a bunch of... <laughs> right. But it's primarily forest, so... I don't have to do much. So tell us um, about how you got to where you are today and you run restaurants. So tell me the restaurants that you own and run right now. And then I'd like you to kind of step back in time and and share with us, you know, highlight like the things you did in your lifetime to make a living. Man, it's been like the same thing for a long time. Um, so I right now have a restaurant called Cup and Saucer Cafe. It's on Hawthorne in Portland, and then I own, and then I own a restaurant called Junior's Cafe, that which I recently started running with my daughter Sarah, and I own a bar called the Alleyway Bar um, and Cafe, and it's on Alberta in Portland, and uh, then I own half of a restaurant called Little Griddle, which is on Forty Second and Fremont, and I have a partner Judd Harris, and we've been partners for a couple years in that. It's another breakfast place. And then I have a pizza restaurant called Oddfellows Pizza Company in Willamina. That's five? Did I count that right? I hadn't counted, but that is true. Oh, my goodness. So and that's f- enough. But it's f- that's enough. That's that's not that's about as many as I've ever had at a time. But I've had a lot of other ones at different times. Yeah. I so once had four cup and saucers at one time. First of all, that's significant that you're running multiple at one time. I've been told my whole life that restaurant it, business is, it's tricky business. Like it's, I mean, it's just all I've it. really done. Um, so I will say that I was, you know, I'm seventh of eight kids. 
four boys, three, you know, four girls. And we didn't have a bunch of money. And, and that's, we were poor. And I left home young. When did you leave home? Uh, first time 15. And I was, had been babysitting for somebody. And I was a very straight and narrow kid. Lesbian, though. Secretly. And, and Oh, secretly. Uh, I mean, like, I didn't, maybe secretly even to myself. Like, I was doing lesbian things, but I wasn't talking about it. And I wasn't being open about it. And I lived yeah. in a very small town. And was that culturally frowned upon? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm 58. So yeah. I was, you know, I graduated in 1981. Uh, so I was in school before that. But my family, I wouldn't say, I mean, I didn't tell them. I didn't. I just, my family was pretty alcoholic. And uh, so that's why I like beer. Um, no, probably. I'm just <laughs> kidding. But um, I'm not an alcoholic. But um, anyway, I just wanted to, I I came, I left home. I lived in a basement of somebody that I babysat for. Um, and can I ask, like, why did you leave home that young? Oh, because my family was, you know, alcoholic. And um, my mom was in a relationship. That, and I just didn't feel honored and taken care of and I mean looking back that's probably true maybe mm -hmm. I was I was really on a soapbox too like I wasn't religious or anything but I was like man get your shit together and take care of your kids and you know what I mean so yeah. I just left home to take care of myself and to to be proud of the way I was living separate from of my family that I was maybe a little embarrassed of mm -hmm. at the time I, oh, I had a little sister at home still I just so the thing is I left home you know, young. I had a job at a grocery store. I started playing the guitar when I was like about that time, um, a little earlier, mm -hmm. 13, 14. I really thought I was going to be a musician. Like I write songs and sing and I'm pretty <laughs> good at it, actually. Um, and that's I what I want to hear you when we're done. That's what I wanted to do. I'm very shy. And so, you know, I worked. Um, I eventually moved to Portland. Who did you live with when you moved out? I lived with, I had babysat for this family. They had two kids and I worked at a grocery store and I babysat their kids and then they rented me their basements and they were awesome. They taught me how to drive and they just loved me. Like, you know, there were a couple families like that, but this particular family, you know, when there's a kid that's like got a rough family life, I was that kid and they took, but I was very proud. You know, I wasn't a troublemaking kid at all. I got good grades. I worked and I, you know, moved out of my house and I was going to take care of myself. And I was very much like that. And then I, I talked my mom and my sister, my younger sister into moving to Portland. We had been in Portland before and most of my older siblings were in Portland. Anyway, it was, I feel like for, we, so I was like 18 in Portland. I tried to go to school, music school at um, Mount Hood Community College mm -hmm. I had a job for a little while, like just like working at a candy store and a, maybe a grocery store, but I didn't work for anybody very long. I ended up working Nordstrom in like whatever, 1983 was starting their first um, espresso cart out front of Nordstrom's. And I was kind of seeing some woman that got me a job there. And from there... Espresso was taking off in Seattle and some guy came up to the espresso cart in front of PSU and said, and I waited on him a few times and I'm very friendly, you know, and he said, Hey, I'm trying to open an espresso cart 
at P at the park blocks of PSU because I think that's a great idea. And I'm going to school there, but I don't know how to make espresso. Of course, I didn't hardly know either. And it was a bigger <laughs> deal then. You had to like send away for an espresso machine to Italy, you know? Oh, wow. Like you had to go, you had to order it and wait. So I was having a hard time with Nordstrom's because, you know, I was a boyish lesbian and they wanted me to wear culottes, not even pants, and also a bow tie. And I was just like, this is bullshit. Like, <laughs> not. this doesn't even make any sense. Which thing do you want? You know, like, and also I'm not going to do either. I did not like being told what to do. I figured that out right away. Well, and, you can see that with moving out at 15. Yeah. You were a self-starter anyway, so then it makes well, sense. Well, also people's, like... I was kind of a rule follower, even in this weird way, too. I didn't want to cause trouble. I didn't want to yeah. didn't like being part of a troublemaking family. You know, yeah. my mom was at the bar a lot. I love my mom. And it's um, not an issue of love. <laughs> but, you know, we were not taken care of. And it yeah. was like I wanted to have some, you know, and I was worried about my sister. I thought if I get a job, I could help. And my older siblings had done that for us, you know, yeah. like this drinking thing wasn't new. But anyway, um. So that was a big starting point for me, that espresso thing. Like I, I was, I didn't really know how to make espresso or give a crap about it, but I was making this espresso. And then this guy, you know, who was like an engineer thought, I'm going to build an espresso cart. I need to know how to make espresso. Do you want to come help me? Like, and I was like, yes, I hate this place. Like, so I went with him. There was another espresso cart. This is in Portland, Oregon. The only other espresso cart that I know about was in the outside of the art museum. At this time. So this is like the Forever early ago. days and of even espresso Seattle was pretty, you know, it was happening in Seattle. But um, so anyway, I ended up building in the garage with this guy, which he seemed like an old guy. But now that I think about it, he was probably 30 and 32. <laughs> That's the number, or before you said the number, I'm like, he's probably like 30. He changed my whole life. He really, I didn't know what I was doing, but he liked me and he thought I knew how to make espresso. So and he was going to school. And so he wasn't going to be running the espresso cart, right? So we built it together in his garage, this cool espresso cart, <laughs> which had, it was just little. It was a manual espresso machine, but you could plug it in and it would heat up the boiler. Then you could push it up to the park blocks from this garage where it was. I pushed it like two blocks with my body up this little <laughs> hill. It was Ion Plaza, which I think it still is. And then you could light the hot water heater. Anyway, it, then it was just completely self-sufficient back then, you know? Wow, that's so and, uh, cool. Because it had a um, gas hot water heater. And then anyway, he shows me how this thing works. I show him how to make espresso. But shortly in, he says, oh, I'm going to move away. And so would you like to buy this from me? You could just buy it on payments. And I said, and I was, it was all about me anyway. Like I was playing my guitar, juggling, serving people espresso. <laughs> and so that's how I got started. I ended up with this espresso card. I called it espresso, et cetera. And then I worked five days a week at the, at Portland State. And then I would push it by hand all the way, all the way down 4th Street of Portland to Saturday Market. And I just worked seven days a week. And I made a lot of money. Wow. I mean, it was a while before I even had a business license. I just, I didn't even know about having a business license. So I was just not having a business license and making coffee. Right. And I kept all this money. A while before that, my oldest brother, Scott, had told me when I was like 13 or 14, and I was crying and sad about the world. And 
he told me, don't trust the banks or anybody and don't ever put your money in the bank. So I kept all my money and it was the original money. So it smelled, you know, it was like covered in coffee and milk and, <laughs> and I put it all in Dixie cups. And, <laughs> you know, at this point I'm living in a pretty nice apartment for $400 a month wow. and it had a garage. How much it. do you think that's going for now? 1800 I'd love to know. Wow. Yeah. Two bedroom, like really sweet hardwood floors. Um, you have your own little, you know, stairs down to the your garage. Like Yeah. And then how old were you at this time? I'm thinking I'm twenty yeah. two. Twenty well, twenty one. I f that time frame is fuzzy for me, but I I feel like it I, I opened so I did that for a long time. I did so it might have been eighty three when I started and then mm -hmm. it was like I had my cart at the, at PSU for a long time, maybe four or five years, and at Saturday Market for three, four years that whole time. And people met there that literally got married. You know, they later would come to my restaurant. They had children. Those children worked. It's just crazy. Like That's really cool. I know. But anyway, um, some woman that owned a restaurant came to my cart, and she said, you know, she was going to school. She was an English major and she had, she owned a restaurant called the Sunny Side Up Bakery and Cafe on Hawthorne. And she was a phenomenal cook and baker. I was not, <laughs> but she was just like, man, you're so friendly and nice. You should buy my restaurant because, you know, I struggle with people like on the level that, you know, <laughs> like it's hard for me. People come in with their own food to have coffee people, you know, and she's like, I just hate it. So uh, it ended up, I had no plan. You know what I mean? I didn't have a plan to have an espresso cart. I didn't have a plan at all. I didn't have a plan to do anything. But, <laughs> but and I, didn't, I like, tried to go to school, but I didn't like going to school because I didn't want to be graded when they tried to tell me, you know, when they tried to tell me, sit down. And also, I'm pretty sure I'm ADHD. I just never got, you know, I mean, I'm not linear in any way. And you're going to soon find out because I'm going to be <laughs> And if you haven't by now. I'm, I'm lucky I have this. any friends, but um, <laughs> but I think there's something to that and being uh, just good at things that have a lot of parts because I'm really good at that. And anyway, I, you know, she was like, you should come see my restaurant. We're selling it or whatever. And it turned out that they had um, so they had a, they had my cafe that I still have was that cafe um, oh, cool. in 1988 before 1988. I actually put my espresso, a different espresso cart inside their cafe and was running my espresso cart inside their cafe. And I can't remember everything about that. I just, it was weird. And, and the cafe would open and there'd be music in there sometimes and such. And, but anyway, they had gotten like, they were struggling financially and emotionally with doing that for a living. It was hard on them. They did not love it. She and her husband, they did make delicious food that no one will ever have again. Like they made their own bagels, um, mulligatawny soup. Like I have some recipes that are just things I should make because they made, they made really delicious food, but she I, loved to cook, but she didn't love the, the business of it, you know? Yeah. So I assume, which is, which is something that's, I mean, really, I think a lot of entrepreneurs find they love what they do, but the, the business and the promoting and the marketing and the, you know, I should have asked her and they're around. I, I not that long ago, maybe two years ago, I ran into them at Marco or um, Gino's restaurant in Portland. And I and I bought them some drinks because they were having like an anniversary dinner or something. And I was just <laughs> like, 
you guys are the reason I have all this trouble now. Because I opened the rest. I mean, Sunnyside Up was a great name. and I, But I changed it to Cup and Saucer because I had had a dream about opening. I had this dream that I had a restaurant called Cup and Saucer. And it was kind of a dream like it was as if I was in Happy Days or something. I love Happy Days. It was so weird. It was like, and then I later just referred to that dream because I was like, oh, I had a restaurant in that dream. It was called Cup and Saucer. And like, that's so, really cool. That's like, that's, it's a fun part of the story. Yeah. It just was so weird. I never thought of doing it. Anyway, I am telling you, I, I opened an espresso cart with no knowledge of how to deal with money. I just was such a motivated person to do something, to not be poor, to not be told what to do. I just wanted to be in charge of my deal. And I think I had trust issues. I mm -hmm. loved being my own boss. Trust issues seem, I mean, going like with your family situation yeah. seems like a natural byproduct. But I was confident. I never thought for one minute, oh no, what if I do this? I never thought that. By the time I opened Cup and Saucer, I was 25. And wow. um, I went down to the bank and I said, I, I want to borrow some money because I need to do some things to this restaurant that I've opened. And they were like, yeah, we're not going to loan you any money. You're 25. Well, and it's a restaurant. And I was <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, anyway, man, I'm telling you what I, my sister and I actually, my, I forgot about this. My dad's mom died and my dad had taken control of all the money that my grandma had, which was quite a bit. But somehow we managed to get this $40,000 that we all split, which meant all of us each got $5,000, right? So my sister and I took oh, our... Oh, Emma is back. We yes. each took our $5,000 and we were going to... My oldest sister and I were going to run this restaurant together. Anyway, she and I opened the restaurant together, actually, from my espresso cart. I kept my espresso cart going and we opened this restaurant together. And she is entrepreneurial her own self. She's done a lot of different things. She now has a distillery in Skagway, Alaska. And I would say about like literally five out of eight of the kids in my family are self-employed. Interesting. And, wow. um, and they're all difficult people. Like they're all, I mean, we're not difficult, but we're hard headed. You know what I'm saying? It would be hard to tell us what to do. We saved the world by becoming our own uh, bosses, which I like, I just want to throw in there that so much of like our, you know, the struggles that we have produce strength. And sometimes the strength is often difficult and strong in its own right. What a growing piece of time I'm leaving this out. Just like to be that young, to open a business, to just be standing there and have people going, doing all of their things, going to school, trying to become all the things. I wasn't doing that. I wasn't even interested. You know, I stopped going to school. I did try to take a women's studies class while I was running that espresso card, but I just kept making every. I talked to everybody. I was kind of a card, you know. I was I was funny, and I would be like, eh, "Why don't we all go have breakfast instead?" And we would. We would go have breakfast. Like they would let me do you, that. You like, were an influencer. You got everyone to go eat breakfast. So, but anyway, I so I opened that restaurant with my sister, and then not very far in, she was like, "Forget it. Like this is just a gay restaurant. I am not gay," and it was true. 
that it was the first like it was lesbian owned and there it was a big like deal. It was a big deal then. Whereas now people say, oh, there's no gay bars anymore. Well, but back then, right, it was. Well, now it doesn't matter. Nobody cares if you go into there's a ton of restaurants that are very they don't care if you're gay, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas back then it was a big deal. Like it was more segregated, you know, and it was more um, you wanted to band together with people to if you wanted to say you were gay, you know, and. You know, I, I just want to highlight. So I was doing an interview. I was interviewing Maria Stewart, and she said that she was forever changed, and she didn't even know it when she went to dinner at a, a it was at a French cafe or restaurant. And she said people love to come there because they could just come there and be French. And and I'm like, that's where like when people could, if they're lesbian or gay, and they can come there and they can be lesbian, they can be gay, and they just be who they are, and not feel like they're constantly scrutinized by everyone around them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it can be a safe place. I could see why it would be <clears throat> quite the quite the draw. It was kind of lost on me that part of it. Anyway, starting out in that business, like so, I had my espresso mm-hmm. cart. I'm running my restaurant. Mm-hmm. Women are applying left and right. Men are like, I don't know. I don't know if I could work here, man. Like I had really good friend that was a guy that I, and I lived with him most of my younger, like late teens, early 20s. And it was just so funny. Like I'd, I'd have to be like, please come work with me. I want some, you know, I want to mix it up a little, you know. But <laughs> then I'd have these women being like, we don't want any, you know. And man, I had customers that would like be very strong. You know, Linda Shirley uh, was a person in that town that was a radio big deal. Like all these lesbians that were like, you shouldn't let men in here. And so this was a big, it was a big, huge coming of age time then, you know. Yeah. Like, and I would say that I was late. I was really immature. So anyway, I'm opening a restaurant uh, with my sister. I'm there's a lot of focus on gay. That wasn't my intention. It just turned into that, you know. Uh-huh. And that's true about what happens. Like when I opened my bar, I didn't intend for it to be a bar exactly. It just became just that evolved. because it was well, in Port. It was on Alberta and 24th, and everybody wanted an Oli, you know, like every or Rainier. Like I wanted to have a farmers market thing, you know. <laughs> I was high, like on like look at what I can do. My family was poor. My mom came to work for me. My younger sister came to work for me. We were making money like a month in, you know. We, wow. And what, like, you're so you're making money, but what helped you to get it going that fast? I just went in there and started, I had a dry erase board. I didn't know how to cook. I didn't know how to make espresso either, you know, right. like. Which I think is so cool. I mean, that's a, that's a really well, I just fascinating think, part of your story. And you didn't have the internet, too. Like, you know. Yeah, I, no YouTubes to pull up and say. No. But what you had was nice people and people you could call and people that were excited. It was kind of so different. I'm sad for anybody now that doesn't have the lack of internet where you have to do the fun thing where you have to go meet the person that knows and listen to the story about how they learned. And then, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, like, I can um, appreciate that. I never thought I would be looking back and being like, look at how the old days that I was in, because I, <laughs> it's, I'm older and I can't, I'm surprised that I'm older. But, um, but anyway, you know, what? I'll throw this in there. My mother, she was a stay at home mom, but occasionally she would get a little side gig. And there was a side gig where she was working for somebody that sent all these mailers out to advertise. And one of them was advertising the Internet, like check out this thing. 
That was a thing. That's so crazy. My mom would like fold the letters. I ended up working for the same place for a bit where we'd like, you'd fold and crease the letters and you'd even sign it for the person. You were given permission to sign for them. So you'd sign the letters for this. I forget who it was that was the the person sending the letters out. But that's I just, nuts. I remember, the, you know, I don't know how old you are, but like, I'm, you know, I don't feel like I'm a million years old, but the world is different. The world is, it's changed so much in and our lifetime. And also like, I don't know, there was also things that kind of come full circle too, because back then, you know, I opened a restaurant, I'm on Hawthorne, I'm a lesbian. I mean, there's little, you know, Nazi gangs and like people that there was a lot of political stuff going on to, wow. you know, civil rights stuff that was mm -hmm. coming around about, especially about being gay, about being strong women, you know. Um, lots of women coming up. A lot up. of stuff coming around on, in light of, you know, just a lot of change. Yeah, with. a lot of women come out of in mm -hmm. politics in Portland. Mm -hmm. You know, I was political. I would host those events. I'm sure being lesbian, I can only imagine that the just the, you know, where you're raised, where, you, like you said, you culturally were trying to not be lesbian you're just because i had a, i was raised in a, with a small town mind like of just you know more i don't know i think personally it's not that i had necessarily something against it i just thought i don't think i'm gay is probably not a good idea for me you know what i mean like yeah, i, I want to no. have children i was mm -hmm. such a boy though literally i was as boyish as my brother you know like mm -hmm. it annoyed him my because my, i'm seventh <laughs> and my he's sixth born but anyway this is just one restaurant like i just opened that restaurant i just worked i literally just worked and i strengthen my I, before i ever open i'm like painting some these two women drive up uh, i mean come up on their bicycles and they had just arrived into town from ohio to portland you know oh, wow. and so and they had run a restaurant there in the college town and then they came to work for me and they taught me how to make you know pancake batter and coffee cake and i mean just people started showing up some of my friends a lot of my friends were just like you know they would clean and do things and like to, they would come and help prep at the end of the day. And I did not know what I was doing. It was a miracle. And I'd have to like, you know, chase people down the street. I'm so sorry. Please come back. Like, I'm just trying to figure this out. I had a kerosene heater because I had, when I split from the bakery over to just having a cafe, mm -hmm. uh, the heater was on the other side. The heater was on the other side of the wall that we put up. And so I didn't have a <laughs> heater. Like... <laughs> Just stuff. I didn't have a hood ventilation system because I didn't know you needed one. It was Department of Agriculture and it was baking. And, you know, I was cooking eggs. And just so you don't catch on fire, you're supposed to have this hood ventilation system. But they're <laughs> like $10,000. Even back then they were. Yeah, really and, expensive. Um, Can I, I just throw know. in there really fast? Like at the very beginning when you were talking about this place that you figured out that you could figure it out. It's like one of my favorite quotes. I'm like... That's evident through all of this. You were just figuring out that you figure it out because you just figured it out. I just, what was there to lose? Like, I do want to yeah. say that back then you could just rent a place. That's not true. I couldn't have just rented that place. You know, I ended up taking over something. So if someone would have been like, oh, you probably I'm not going to rent to you. But I took it over like it was under, yeah. it was already rented and it was already, you know, I just upheld the rent. And yeah. And I had $5,000 and Jan had, I had no money. And well, that's not true. I, I had some money for my espresso cart. I wish I remembered more of that, but the details, I do want to tell you, I was so damn friendly and I meant it. Like I was just making, I couldn't believe it. I just thought, what? 
I'm just scrambling eggs. I don't even know how to cook. I would, I had a, there's a phone hanging on the wall in my restaurant right now. You could, it's a big, long cord and it's a curly cord. Yeah. And it's yeah. a rotary. And that phone was there and you could, I what could, color is it? Yellow. Ah! I could drag it all the way to the stove, which is still in the same place it was. And in 1988, my restaurant turns on uh, October 12th, it turns 33. And, um, wow. I would call my mom and I'd be like, mom how do you baste an egg? And she was just like, just don't do it. Don't do it. And I'm like, no, this person is. But I had like literally my whole menu was just like this dry erase board. It was like scrambled eggs with this, scrambled eggs with that, you know, and like people started demanding more things and I just kept trying to figure it out. And my mom knew a lot. I mean, she raised eight kids and she did cook and she was a really good cook. And, um, and she knew a lot of things about, I didn't know anything about food and I didn't, she was, a, she literally like a few years in, I remember she worked for me for 20 years. She died in 2008, I'm sorry. but, um, I'm sorry too, but she would walk through there and she would just, the food window was like out to the dining room. And, and so you'd walk through the kitchen, you could see, and she'd just be like, man, the joke is on them. Like, I can't believe you are cooking food and they are buying it. Like, <laughs> But oh, it I also it, it just really took off and it took off. And we like the first time we hit a thousand bucks, which is now a big day, you know, like back then. We, Wait, we were a thousand dollars. Yeah. On Hawthorne, there was like an old bookstore. There wasn't Starbucks. There wasn't like I when I first started, there was a guy across the street that had like a used um, just a, you know, junk store, really thrift store kind of thing. And we would like pass a football back and forth, you know, until like some, we got a customer, you know, <laughs> then I would like take the order, make the food, take the food out. And then I added another person, you know, it was very slow adding people. My sister was younger than me and I made her do everything that I said, but she, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's a natural old sister thing to do. Older yeah, sister thing. She would complain about it to you now, but, um, and she's <laughs> super capable probably because I whooped her into shape, but, um, <laughs> She is that girl. She knew she worked somewhere else. I never worked at another restaurant. She came to work for me. She had at least worked somewhere. My mom, too. My mom had worked in restaurants and waited tables. You know, I had, and here you're starting and you never even worked at a restaurant. I was so cocky in this way. I wasn't cocky, but I was like, come on, guys. My mom was like, what are you doing? You don't even know what you're doing. And I was like, come on. Let's, what else are we going to do? You know, we were all poor. Yeah. And we were not poor. Like we were like a year later, we were not. We were, you know, paying our bills and like it was crazy. That's really neat. And the place was a shit pile, but like it needed things, you know, like a chair. You'd sit on it, fall through the floor. You know, they were beautiful, but fur <laughs> floors, you know. And like I said, a kerosene, like I didn't know things. I learned everything. Like I had this milk thing that clipped shut. And it unclipped and six gallons of milk would come pouring out of the refrigerator when you open the door. And I had to learn <laughs> a lot of things. But a lot of people helped. And it was like, it was just so awesome and different when people were just, it was more visceral. You know, you're walking by, you see what's happening. You ask if you can, if there's not this thing where you you just say a word on the internet and it goes out. It's Which is cool, but it's not as cool as... People always were out and about to find out what was going on and they would walk by and they would become invested in something lasting because it was in their neighborhood and they would literally invest. People would help me. Like they would be like, what can I do to help? And 
my family helped and made fun of me. And then, <laughs> and then not very far along, I, and I kept my espresso cart going for a long time. I had espresso you know, in this restaurant too, but. I just, I'm listening to you and I, I, this thought has come up a few times, but there was a study. I just heard this on the radio years ago that some of the very best athletes that have ever been came from really, really difficult upbringings. And I've just been curious about that. I've, I've thought about it for years. You know, why is that? And I think it's what you're saying. It's that, what do I have to lose? Like they're, they're for whatever, like willing to put in the work, the sweat, the tears, the just show up again, get up again and again. But I already knew everything hard. So I just, I already knew everything was hard. Yeah. Everything was hard. I didn't That's have any established. money. established. <laughs> it's not easy. I had nothing to lose. Like I had, I didn't have a child. I didn't have, but early in, like I took like literally money in Dixie cups to the bank and I bought a house when I was 26. With cash? Uh, I put my $10,000 down in cash in Dixie cups wow. and they made me fill out this affidavit. And I was like, what does this mean? Could you translate and this for me? <laughs> just like, why do I have to, because it was $10,000. You have to, they want to know where this cash came from. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I didn't, I was not running a business like a business. I didn't have a business license. I didn't have, you know what I'm saying? So, Well, you know, it's funny you say that. When is the point that we know that we need to do that? As humans, we know we need to, make a living we need to put food in our mouths mm -hmm. and we need to or like we have a project we need to like fix this thing in our house oh we needed to get a building permit i didn't even know i just started building you know right. like I just, yeah. knew, I just knew i needed to build you, you know, know when somebody comes and tells on you yeah you learn right then <laughs> or something catches on fire doesn't work <laughs> like i don't know <laughs> but fortunately a lot of people knew things i didn't know but i didn't really like listening to people that well it took me a long time maybe last year no, a couple of years ago. I, I, I was young. <laughs> then I got kind of cocky. I just started like, it just started becoming maybe an addiction. Like there'd be a place for rent and I'd be like, oh my God, that could be a restaurant in five minutes. All we'd have to do is this and that. And I learned things, you know, the infrastructure, the, right. you know, if, you, if it has the plumbing, if everything's in the right place, that's thousands of dollars. Like if that right. stuff isn't in the right place it's harder. You know, I do real estate. And when I walk mm -hmm. in my brain, whether clients are talking about it and looking for where to put the plump, you know, like you often in unfinished basements. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, but if I know I have a client that's like looking to put a mother-in-law apartment in or something like my mm -hmm. brain in every property I'm looking at, I'm looking at where the plumbing is. Yeah. I mean, it can be moved, but it's certainly nice to, yep. to be like, okay, what's the, that, what's that going to take, you know? And yep. But I Time, got Time, energy, money, yeah. like all the things. I did a lot of things the hard way. I opened a lot of restaurants. I opened, I don't, I probably couldn't, I can't count. I forget about restaurants I opened. Like, I opened four cup and saucers. You know, I, I just started just, I don't know. I think I would have to tell you I'm for surely a workaholic. And some kind of a holic was bound to be true about me you know but um <laughs> it was in your blood but nothing was enough like I just felt like I could do another thing and another thing and another thing and and probably grew to the point where I wasn't taking as good a care of some things and, I, and then I got into flipping houses I bought a house and you know so at one point I had like five houses and but I'm telling you what is true about this I figured out like there's a formula to things like I was always very nice very honest 
I really appreciated that I was getting when I got product from people like I paid bills late. You know, I have owed people money for a while before I've never not paid ever. And that's a thing in the restaurant business. People just go away and they leave all kinds of debt behind them. I have never done that. And I can easily go rent a place and I can easily, you know, I feel like I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that integrity and I, mean, I was just an inherently good and honest person. And that I feel like that really was a key to my success. And I had a lot of success when I was young and then a lot, like I just, nothing could go wrong for me. And I had plenty of money and I shared my money and I bought some houses. And so I opened cup and saucers. Then I opened some other little things. I had a relationship out of town. I Oh, I adopted my brother's kid when I was 37. Okay, I was going to ask about Sarah. So I that was a thing. So 37, I'd had a restaurant for 12 years at that point, I guess. And you said you always wanted a family. Yeah, changed my whole life. I didn't quit working that much, but um, I, couldn't, I couldn't work for a while. It was really hard. She was uh, drug affected and then... In utero. Yeah, uh, under five pounds, like full term, like under four pounds full term. Wow. And then just the most beautiful, cool thing. You know, I remember just being like, holy shit. How can I sit still enough to be with this little tiny thing needs, <laughs> you know? little creature. Yeah. How did that story develop? How did that come into fruition? How did that come to fruition? Well, my brother, you know, he had a drug problem and drinking problem and uh, dated someone that I wasn't sure. She, I don't think she always had a drinking problem, but she was Burmese, had come here, I think, to go to school and then met my brother and they ran around carousing and he's handsome and charming. And and so I wasn't paying any attention to that. My mom just was like, hey, there's your brother, there's this baby going to be born and whatever. And then, and then it was like, hey, the baby's been born and it's not good. Like they both were in trouble with the law, my brother and the mom. And um, so Sarah was born and needed to go into um, medical foster care right off because she wasn't okay to just go home. What is medical foster care? I mean, it's I can when imagine, but... somebody can, somebody with medical experience can take a baby home and keep it in, you know, maybe they have incubators, maybe they have, but the baby can't just go to, can't go home. Like, it, um, so mm -hmm. there's foster care, mm -hmm. but you can't just send a baby that's at risk into a foster care situation. A they regular. have to be with someone that can, that has medical ability. Like a nurse you know? or a doctor yeah. or. Yeah. So anyway, so she had to reach five pounds before she could go t to stay with someone. And so, and she was just, she was, had uh, fetal alcohol and, you know, car cocaine was the mom's problem. And um, man, she was little and um, not breathing when she was born, you know, like, wow. uh, and then my mom, you know, makes me go to the hospital and they're like saying, okay, this baby, when she is well enough to go somewhere, is going into a foster care situation unless someone in the family wants to take her. And so while we figure out, you know, how to help the parents, basically, because they try to help the parents. You know? Right. The fo the whole goal of foster care is to try and help the parents be able to but take my the kids back. They weren't young parents either. They were uh, 39 each. Oh, geez. So, because I was 37. Anyway, there was a situation where they were like, okay, my brother's like, okay, I, Karen, either Mimi's mom is going to try to have her 
Or, you know, maybe you could try to take her and just be for a couple of weeks while we straighten this out. My brother's saying that, the dad. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, and he and I had an iffy relationship, like very close and very and very antagonistic too. Like yeah. Like from young, yeah. you know, cut my curls off when I was little. Like, oh, yeah. I mean. Um, but and he trusted me. So I had the ability to not work all the time. You know, I, I did work all the time. Yeah. But but it occurred, you know, occurred to people, oh, Karen has a lot. You know, she could not work. She can be flexible. Yeah, she yeah. could make a living mm-hmm. and not work. And, like, someone has to be on with this baby. So so that's what happened. I applied and did all this. But it was crazy because, you know, I, my house was like, I was Completely like a little boy. <laughs> like, I was like... I had a clean pile of clothes and a dirty pile of clothes and I had a, and I had box, you know, my, I had, you know, I was like, boy, you know, in college I had, you know, crates with pieces of wood on them for tables. And in other words, this is what, there would be lots of choking hazards and lots of, not kid friendly. Well, this baby wasn't going to be crawling around immediately anyway, but. Right, um, right. Well, in my But I mostly, I just had, I was just running in the door, changing my clothes, running out the door. Yeah. It wasn't a It wasn't a, a child friendly. No, or it wasn't prepared. a homie. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, you know, a lot of kids in my family and I love kids and I wanted kids. I just hadn't slowed down to not even make, I had my sweet little house, you know, but it wasn't super nice. And um, yeah. Anyway, I someone delivered me Sarah one day, drives up, says, here's this baby. And then a, a nurse is going to come two times a week. And, you know, I had to feed her like this weensy little bottle every like two hours. And she shook, 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 shook. She had terrible withdrawals. Oh. And I didn't, this was a whole new idea for me, you know. Well, it's a whole new idea just having a, a baby that's healthy. I remember holding mine thinking, uh, what do I do? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> what, what do I do? <laughs> I got to tell you, though, I mean, and then there was a thing. Then I had her and had her and then she had to visit her dad and had to visit her mom. And and she has a relationship with her mom now that is really a beautiful thing. That didn't happen for a lot of years. At first had to visit her mom in jail and then had to, you know, my dad, uh, her dad got visitation, my brother. And he was given like an apartment and all the things it takes to take care of a baby, you know. And so I had to go leave her there for some pieces of time and while he's trying to get his life together. But they just kept falling off the wagon of good. And so and then I, of course, had her and had her and had her. And finally, finally, there comes a point where, you know, she's three years old and there's a and then there's the question mark of, do I get to keep her? The mom is out of jail and has been, you know, towing the rope. And Yeah, what was that like for you? That's it was what, worst. It, it, it's like I have thought about foster care. I have my own children, but I had thought about foster care in, in Mormonism, the way that I was raised and was raising my children. They're, they would often come out and say, hey, you know if you can do this, do this. And I think about it and I would think uh, that's where my struggle would be. I could see getting attached to a baby in two days. You know, I'm a big baby anyway. Like I'm not good with, you know, in my past, you know, someone in my life gets super sick, the kind where you're going to die. I just go away. I wouldn't do that now, but bad news and hard things are not my deal. Like I like going for the happy (laughs) high energy happy place like you know i'm a pisces i'm a i don't know but i'm deep thinking too and so yeah that's all the hard stuff is just very hard on me and that's probably part of why you go for the happy is because you yeah it's so intense for you 
And I mean, I am a person like I'm really resilient, but it's not like I'm ignoring that there are bad things. I just really try to think, okay, how can we take this to a better place? Like Mm -hmm. what is, but with that situation, you're raising a kid three years. I mean, she and I, who could have known that I didn't raise her? Like, I'm just saying we were very close. We are very close. We are very close. And (laughs) so um, how old is she now? 21. I love that. And we just, Sherry, who lives with me right now, we took over a restaurant she had, and Sarah is now running it. So for the last, since May. Wow. So by herself, like pretty much. I mean, I'm guiding her, and she's grown yeah. up in the restaurant industry, but she's 21. Yeah. And she's just a beast. She makes me look like a <laughs> baby. Like she's in there cooking. She's like, I don't know. It's taken me 40 minutes a ticket, but I'm making the, you know, she's, you know, crazy. She's very, I was with someone too from the time Sarah was three until she was 12. And that woman, I had a heart attack when I was 46 and that woman adopted Sarah. So she has two moms. But that was, you know. Wow. um, That happened just after I got, well, I got custody. I adopted, I got to adopt Sarah after I got into that relationship. But because we had the termination trial for the parents when she was three, it took another year for me to adopt her. But it was the most heartbreaking, crazy. I never had any kind of heartache like that. I had no idea what it really meant to meet someone's needs. You know what I mean? You think you're a thoughtful, kind person. You're running restaurants, making food and meeting people's needs all day long. Right. I had no idea what it was like to just, you know, (laughs) and it was crazy good. Like it was like, I was meant for it. If I had known I'd had children long before, you know, because I was, you know, I was, too old to have a bunch more kids by the time, you yeah. know, I knew. But, 37, um, right. But I have lots of family now. But anyway, that was a big life-changing event. And I worked a lot less for a while because of that. But I... Can I ask, what was that like to love your brother, to see them try and fail and try and fail, and then be in this situation? That had to be an interesting... I just... I hated him. And I loved him. And I hated... I mean, she really struggled... Meaning she, they, Sarah, Sarah or she, will, They will never know. And Sarah doesn't know because, but Sarah's the most inner, like, she is such a little, she's not like, she is like me, but she's very, very calm and good in the world. And like, I don't know, very forgiving and loving. And I do think she had a good childhood, honestly. And I think <laughs> she's, I do think that, and I had a very mm-hmm. good partner helping me, um, uh, on purpose, like I picked this person for a reason because I knew I my family was crazy, you know, <laughs> but in a good way too. But um, right, my brother, I always loved him and hated him so much. You know, we are very much alike. We look and sound quite a bit alike. Both a little bit funny and probably consider ourselves smart and charming or something at that time. But um, anyway, I miss him. You know, I I have not talked to him since my mom died when you have this child and it's the most beautiful thing that ever happened to your life. And you think they almost killed her. They didn't mean to, but she almost didn't live. Right. And they don't even realize it. They could listen to this podcast and maybe realize it, but yeah, there's realizing things. And then there's realizing things. My brother couldn't handle the consequences of his actions. So he just pretended they didn't happen. And so it was hard. It was really hard to have to go leave her there. You know, he'd have pillows piled over. Just, I'd go there and there'd be just like empty garbage from all the things Wade he'd gotten to go food and 
He loved her, though. I mean, like, you couldn't help but love this kid. And and she's <laughs> a lot like her dad and her mom, you know, mm-hmm. and me and her other mom, you know. So she's <laughs> a lot like everybody that she's a part of. But um, it was very hard. I was pretty angry and I was really scared that I wasn't going to raise her, you know, like, not just personally, like, afraid, but, like, Sarah was very attached to me and she had no idea, like, of any other mom, you know. She had no... She couldn't have, it wouldn't have been okay. I wasn't going to let that happen. I would have left the country. I didn't even know how to leave the country, but I've never been anywhere. But you didn't know how to rent a restaurant. You probably would have figured it out. <laughs> I just thought, this is such a crazy world. It still is like this. They, they're just as a, they got to get the kids. If there's a better option for that kid, they got to let that happen sooner, in my personal opinion, especially if it can include the parents at some point. You know, my brother adopted all of his children and they were visiting Utah one year when they got a message that they had this two and a half month old baby that needed a family. So they left and they went back to Arizona where they lived to adopt this little guy. And so I was there kind of was able to kind of witness a lot of this. Um, you know, just when he came to the family and just the sweet little, you know, opportunity mm-hmm. for them. And then the parents tried to take it back a while later, but it wasn't really the parents. It was like a grandparent that wanted to, anyway, it turned, it was just such a scary, mm-hmm. it was so even as new as that situation. So I can imagine that, you know, down the road, two just more years. Just if there's an like, option Whoa. of that happening, I think the kid needs exposure to that person earlier on yeah because that's the thing i had to take sarah to see her mom in jail and somebody would just come take her from me give me her blanket give me her bottle take sarah with none of the things that made her feel safe which was you and all of those and just a baby cutest baby ever saw in your life and just the sweetest little baby who would shake and shake and shake going through withdrawals just wasn't fair to like, even Mimi in her right mind wouldn't have thought it was fair. She just was trying so hard and just culturally too, to lose a, to not, to be in jail and not have your baby when you're from Burma, you know, that was a, and just by the way, there was just cultural stuff is hard. I feel like that situation could have gone a lot better. It was all against her for sure. There was no big lot of, they give my brother all this help. He was a scoundrel. Like they didn't give the mom any of that help in my personal opinion. Yeah. And I love my brother, but. Well, and and Sarah would have been more attached, I would think, to her mother. But she wasn't. She didn't. in the womb. Yeah, I suppose. Except she was really sick and didn't, wasn't born breathing, you know. So I don't Mm -hmm. know. That couldn't have been going on forever. But Mimi had used, I think, that day that she went into childbirth. So I don't know the whole truth. I should, you know, no point to ask maybe now, but. But anyway, I had very hard feelings about the system, really. The parents were not well. It was could have been very traumatizing to Sarah, but I feel like she was really a priority. I was so afraid of messing her up. I really did pick a person to have a relationship with that was the best. And I mean, literally, you know, when we went, when it was time for Sarah to go to kindergarten, you know, like we looked at so many schools and they were all awesome schools. And I, when I was a kid, you know, it was just like, there's a school over there somewhere. Just keep walking, you know, like <laughs> um, most, a lot of kids. And I knew that's how they went to school, you know, but this, this person 
you know, she is the oldest of three Jewish kids in a big Jewish community family, you know, and she was, education was the biggest deal. And she was like, we're getting her good education. We're, you know, and I was like, okay. I learned so much from Robin, the Sarah's other mom, just about sitting around a table and having, you know, dinner. And I mean, my family did that, but there was usually some fighting and pounding of their fists. But um, <laughs> it's the 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 beauty of bringing cultures together. Yeah. I mean, anyway, it's uh, so I was very it was so hard. I wasn't prepared to become a parent. You know, I wasn't that mm -hmm. hadn't been on my mind. Mm -hmm. Then even when I got her, I didn't think I was going to, there was no talk of me having her forever. That wasn't even on the table. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So then it just kept, then it even kept being not on the table two years in. Wow. Then you're thinking, this needs to be on the table. Yeah, your heart, I'm, you can't even help kid, it. Also, this kid, they were like, don't let her call you mom. I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't even tell her to call me mom. Just kind of happens, you know, like, yeah. oh, here, go back to your mama. You know, like, you know, you can't. And it's not normal to not do that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I opened a lot of restaurants in Portland, like different ones. I had a coffee shop. I had a place called the Jitterbug Cafe. And it was... <laughs> I love, I didn't remember, I don't remember the name of it. You've done uh, so many. <laughs> it is true. I've done a lot of them at a coffee shop down by the barley mill on Hawthorne. Sometimes I'll drive down the street and I'll be like, shoot, I used to have a restaurant there. And that is true. I had a lot of restaurants. I took over a restaurant called Kitchen Venus on Broadway a long time ago. And but recently, I've remembered some of these things I totally forgot about because I've I've been trying to pay off my taxes. <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, what about this?" And I'm like, "No, I don't. Oh, I haven't had that restaurant for 15 years. You know what I mean?" Yeah. So I forgot I had that restaurant. But <laughs> but anyway, I now I when I bought this house, I thought I was gonna retire out here so that was 2013 and I thought I'd probably retire I thought I'd move out this way more full-time you know within a few years and I was doing well financially and you know I had this awesome girlfriend and we were going to do all these things and it would make financial sense to be out here and then and the pizza place was not it was pretty much Katie Meredith and I sitting in this square footage right here them saying and you know I bought it from Jerry Oh, you did? Did you know that? <laughs> oh, that's the property he was telling me about that you bought in Willamina? Yeah, I bought the pizza the... place from him. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but I'm saying I didn't have any idea to do that when I came out, you know, here. Anyway, I thought I would come out here and try to run kind of an Airbnb thing and with my girlfriend who was beautiful and awesome and hardworking. And... But anyway, I instead, someone came to work for me a few years ago, and I'm going to say four years now, but it might be... I think it's four years since this COVID thing's been two years. It could have yeah, been five years. I don't know. But I know. Um, right? Just all starts blending But together. some kid, I had four cup and saucers and I had a restaurant on Denver in Washington. I mean, on, in Oregon. I don't even know why I said Washington, but um, I don't have anything in Washington. But um, <laughs> some kid came to work for me with hepatitis A. He came to work for me and like a few days of him working for me, like maybe a week. He, got, he was really sick. He went to the hospital. He had hepatitis A. And it had turned out that he'd also slept with some kid that worked for me, who then also got hepatitis A. And that was a big, huge hit to my life. I was, you know, 50-something, 50, 50, probably three, and trying to finagle my life with my houses and my businesses to end up maybe out here and with some money. And then the, just the shit hit the fan, and I lost about 
you know, half a million dollars. That was hard. And thanks to the internet, like people were terrible. Like I had all the four restaurants with the same name, which is why I would consider not doing that ever again. Ended up selling all but the one that was my original. I lost so much money and it was so, I was just on top of the world, you know, I mean that I had a long, good run with my restaurants. Right. And then that happened and people don't understand hepatitis A. They thought, you know, they don't understand how people have sex. So it's like fecally transmitted. And it was anyway, people would come there and they'd blog, they'd like order food and, you know, four people that I'd never seen before kids. And then they'd like take pictures and be like, this food has shit in it. And they'd put it on oh the internet. It was so heartbreaking. And it was so financially devastating. And probably I should have quit, you know, but I sold my restaurants and I hung on and I had my bar um, which I've had for maybe 18 years. I can't believe I'm 58 years old, but I feel like my life started out like so hard and so like scary. And I was a tender hearted little scared person, you know, but when I found the gumption to go out on my own and I got empowered by my life getting better, when I was making my own choices, like so when I left my family that was, you know, kind of messed up and and so hard for me because I was I wasn't I was I was kind of on a um I was a little self righteous as a young person. I just thought, man, if you have a kid, you should take care of it. If you know you drink, you shouldn't <laughs> drink too much. If you just generally. And so then when I got out of my own and I got to just, you know, work hard, when I discovered that all I had to do was the best I could do at something to make my life work. It was freedom. You know what I mean? Like I discovered, <laughs> I just, the, the the running a restaurant thing kind of fell into my lap. But because someone was just like, hey, you should, you know, you should maybe come help me with my, my espresso card. Okay. Because <laughs> I had nothing better. I didn't have a plan. I kind of think a plan is maybe a good idea. But I didn't have a plan. But I was open to wide open to trying things. And then I just, when I did try things, I worked as hard as I could. I was sure that I was going to be fine. That's a weird thing because I wasn't fine as a kid in my family. But when I got out on my own and I was taking care of myself and loving my own self, I was fine. And I was totally like compelled to do more of it. You know what I mean? It was like, hey, Look how I opened this restaurant and everybody's coming and they're eating and they're whatever. I'm going to do it more. And so that that wasn't that necessarily the best idea. What I'm trying to say is I just found something that I just found out that trusting in myself, working as hard as I could, being really um, as good of a person as I could be. I was kind of a little bit of a liar when I was young, but I am not a liar. Like I am impeccably honest and I am I don't want to cost people. I want to help people. Like I want to use people's products so they get busier and I get busier, you know? So yeah. I loved that. I loved the networking. I loved community. I loved the with part of just making a restaurant and then people and making a space that someone could feel safe and really working hard because back in 88 and the early 90s and I just, you know, I worked really hard. There was a lot of adversity. Like there was strength in in working hard with people 
And and lots of people were like me, like people that came to work for me. They didn't have money. Some of them were gay. Their parents wouldn't let them come home, you know, because of that. Like, so there was that aspect of it. And that just thrust me into like doing more of that. You know, I just, I think my, my background of alcoholism, I think I do have an, like, I do have like a addictive personality and I could work 20 hour days and I have worked a lot of them, but through the years, you know, I've opened, you know, I've become a person that like, I mean, the restaurant that I own part of little griddle, like that's a guy that cooked for me. He didn't like the partner he had. And he was just like, and he's young, he's 32, <laughs> but you know, he just reached out and he was like, could you be my partner? Cause and I know you can't work all the time and stuff, but I just, you know, I need someone I can trust. And I, like, I know I trust you and I, I know you know what you're doing. And, and I mean, we are like, like oranges and dirt, you know, like we are not the same person, but we, <laughs> you know, but that was a new opportunity for me to be sort of like, okay, I'll give what I can give to this and I'll, you know what I mean? And what a compliment to you, to your character. And that is what's happened. I guess I would like to say like, I'm not trying to just wrap this up in a hurry or anything, but I'm trying to say like, I, I just ended up in the restaurant industry because that's what kind of picked me. It kind of fell my way. I knew like my mom had said like my mom was kind of a, she was in some trouble, you know, when I was a kid. She, I mean, she just, she didn't, she just drank too much, you know, but, yeah. um, but she did say things like no matter what you ever do, just do a, the best you can. And I feel old saying this because nowadays people think, how little can I work to make more money? It seems to be a new thing is that people don't want to work that hard. And But I really did pride myself. That may not be true, too, but it's a little bit true of a lot of people I've talked to in the recent oh, past. Oh, I think it's a common but, topic. Like one thing my young partner said to me, you need to get off this kick where people need to work themselves to death to be respected. You know, he's like, you're, you know, you're hobbling around because... I've, you know, I work in my restaurant right now, like I was, you know, 25. I, because when COVID hit, like there was nobody else, you know, and I am able to do that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, I don't know how I ended up like in this industry as my thing so much. It kind of came my way, but it came my way and I just embraced it. And I literally just did the best I could and I didn't know anything about it and and then every step that buoyed my life like I would I got more money I got a better place to live I got I got to take some care of some people in my life that didn't have as much money I I just got to be proud of myself and so I it made every day better I am not afraid in the world I walk around I'm kind of a toughie, you know, I'm a really loving, kind person, but I've certainly been telling people what to do for a long time now. And I, <laughs> um, but I do it lovingly and I do it with confidence that what I'm saying is a good idea because I know what the hell I'm talking about, you know? <laughs> when you've earned that too, yeah. right? Like Anymore, like really, it'd be smarter for me to not own as many businesses. I just love, ha I love it. I love the different aspects. I love my partnership. I love... The restaurant I have that I've been going into since I was 25, it's like my parent. I love my pizza place in this little town that like Meredith and Katie were just like, you should do that because it was good. Like when Jerry was doing it, I just think he, it was a lot because it was in two different towns. And, and even Jerry said it was a good idea, you know, but like I love the different 
the way it's pizza. I had to learn how to make pizza. Yeah. And like learn a whole new thing and then brought something to the sound everybody wanted. And it's this awesome thing. And so I don't know. I'm just I think that once you do something and you do a good job, it just changes your whole life going forward because because you learn what you're made of. And, you know, and then hardships come along. Big hardships have come along for me, like that hepatitis thing. It really took me down. It took me. It was the first time I thought anything like depressive happened to me. You know, I wasn't depressed as a young kid. I was just, you know, wanting to get out of, you know, this thing I was in. But when at 53 or four years old, when I was thinking, I'm okay, I've done a good job. I'm going to go take it a little easier. And, you know, then the whole bottom falls out of things. And I was having to defend my business like it wasn't something that made people sick and it really was hard. Wow, that would be very It was really hard and then really um and I felt angry about it. I felt like come on. I've been around a long time. This isn't hepatitis A is not I didn't make that happen, you know what I mean? But Yeah. But I do want to say that I feel like I dealt with that. I feel like just my past made it possible for me to just say no, I've like I've worked hard. My life speaks for itself. I'm good at what I do. That was not my fault. And mostly I was telling myself this, right? But right. But I'm just saying, I think that there's just, I think it is hard to just keep going and doing the best you can and not blaming things. And I think it's really key to just try to stay up, to just try to, and I don't mean falsely up. I just mean, okay, like something hard is happening to me. A lot of good things happen to me. Like I'm kind of due for something hard again, probably, you know, like <laughs> I've had my brothers and sisters, my they think, you know, for a while they were like, nothing ever goes wrong for you. Everything you do, even if you don't know how to do it, it goes well. But that wasn't I worked hard. It wasn't just because I was lucky, you know, but because I just I think because I worked hard and I and I just put myself out there, you know, like every time I thought something was a good idea and I've helped other people do things, you know, and lots of people have helped me. I mean, that's the other thing. But I, I think I want to say that just waking up and doing the best you can and and then asking for help where you need it and being grateful for that help. It took me a while to be grateful for my employees. I think I just really wrote them hard for like 20 years, all of them. <laughs> Short 20 years. <laughs> I have lots of employees, like several employees who went on who went on to open restaurants. Someone just visited me like last week who said, hey, I didn't even like wasn't even, in, you know, I didn't even want to work in a restaurant. And then once I worked in this restaurant, like like basically for the last 10, 12 years, she's owned a restaurant in Colorado, like two of them now. When she came through with now she has a wife and she has a baby and she has two restaurants. And she was like, I was inspired by this situation. And <laughs> and that's what a compliment just, to you. I know. And life, that's the thing. I just think it's a hard I don't think I think the restaurant industry is really hard, but it's just all I've done. You know, yeah. it would be hard for me to not do it. Right. Because so I do think I've sometimes what I don't know is when to quit. And, and literally, like right when I was. I embarrassingly, like I owed so much money to people, but after the hepatitis A thing, it was two young guys. One guy lied and tried to get an insurance claim, you know, because he had worked with the kid who was sick, but it turned out he actually slept with him. And I mean, just all these hurtful things, but they didn't know they were like ruining my life. You know, they didn't know they were really ruining my business, you know, and then I, 
But then, so it took me a long time to, I ended up owing a lot of money to people that, um, because m nobody was coming to my businesses and still I had product that I wasn't able to pay for. And I'd never had that situation, you know? Wow. And, um, and my pride was really, you know, at that age, you know, so it'd be one thing if it happened when I was 30, but it's late in the game, you know, when I'm thinking, oh, maybe I'll wrap this up and start, maybe I'll retire someday, you know? And I felt like I almost had to reinvent myself in some ways. I mean, so it just speaks to like believing that whatever is happening is probably happening for a reason, that you can take something hard and find something good in it. Yeah. I, I, it really humbled me. It really did humble me. It really made me go, man, if people don't come, if all these people that have trusted me, you know, if I, if they don't come, I don't have a business, you know? Yeah. Like this wasn't all about, it taught me a lot of things. And, and then I stayed with it just really because I didn't know what else to do. And then COVID hit. You know? So like right when I started, literally like I was, I was making the, starting to make my house payments on time again and stuff. And then bam, COVID hit. And, uh, but I have to say it prepared me for it. That downfall prior just prepared me, you know, to, to have a hard time. It prepared me for a hard time because it was the hardest time financially I'd had in 30 years, you know? So, yeah. You know, but, um, my grandpa used to say, and I just told my son this, my son just went through a really hard thing and, you know, a lot of self introspection, I guess. And, you know, he was really, really down on himself and what was happening and going on. And, and I just reminded him of something my grandfather used to say that you haven't even begun to live till you've built something up, watched it burn to the ground and rebuilt. I mean, there's sure a, whatever your example is, you know, there is just something to be said for learning how to just don't go to a place of blame and woe is me and just look for the the lesson in it. Because I think, I mean, like with this COVID thing, you know, like and, and nobody wanting to work and stuff like I have been kind of mad, like, Jesus, you know, where, how do we exist? You know, how did these restaurants stay? Lots of restaurants closed simply because people wouldn't work, you know, and I get not working when I get not working to, to keep yourself safe and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, right. Because unemployment was so good. And, and in some ways you can't, I don't if know. If unemployment wasn't so good, would they not be working? Yes. But I do want to say risk, yeah. the thing that I did take from this too, and being one of those people like, you know, but when you're the owner, everybody thinks, oh, you're making bank, you know, whatever. And sometimes I was, sometimes I wasn't. I mean, I had to pay people. I had to, I bought a real nice, you know, synchro van again. And then I, when the shit hit the fan, I had to sell it for one single payroll, you know, like one single payroll. What was I going to do for the next two weeks? You know, wow. like, but so, you know, you rise and fall in along the way. But, but I do think a cool thing that's happened is like people, like I think people have gone, okay, we really do want restaurants. And also we're not going to work for 13, 15 hour, you know? And I think mm -hmm. that, I think that's a great thing, you know? So, I mean, there's, I don't know, like, I am starting to feel like I've had this long life in this restaurant industry. And how did I, how did that happen? You know, because I don't remember. I know that I never was like, well, maybe I'll run restaurants. I really thought I'd just be a singing superstar, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, for like, it, you know, for a few years, I really thought that maybe five years. But um, this probably suited me better because, I mean, it's, 
I'm very all over the map and that this business is that way. It's great if you are. I'm a really good breakfast cook. I just became it because so many people didn't show up. Like I just had to learn. And I learned the whole business doing it. And I'm really proud of myself. And then now my daughter is starting to do it. And I'm worried about it a little bit because it's a hard business. But like, (laughs) clearly, like there's a draw to it because I do think it's a magical business. Like you, it's a family. It's a, you know what I mean? You Mm -hmm. feed families literally in all of these years. So there are people who worked for me, had a kid, and their kid has worked for me. You know what I mean? Like that's a long time to have a business. Like. Maybe it goes more than that, but it just seems like, um, but anyway, I was trying to give you a linear sort of wrap it up thing, but just basically, I just feel like, and it's inspirational to even talk about it. Like, I think that, I think I was a young person that just was like, I want out of the spot that I'm in. I don't know. I think some loving, awesome people inspired me and made me. I don't know. I think if you just keep going forward and you just try to keep some light about things, you know, and you can't really look for other, I don't think you can always find it in other people because people are selfish and busy and lots of people are having a hard time too. So I don't know. Uh I'm not trying to give advice. I'm just trying to say, I think I'm realizing that in just trying to talk about my own life, like what is that message in the stars? If you could just leave something to someone who's starting a business or your daughter or the people that come after you at, from everything you've learned. There's more than one thing. Like be impeccable in your way. Like choose. I would say start as you mean to go. My brother used to say that to me, like, think about it. What is the message you're going to put forward? Start that way. Start the way, you know, and it could mean don't have a bunch of shitty things and then try to make them better later. Like try to do something good from the beginning that goes forward, you know, like, but also just like emotionally, like have your principles in order, have your way in order and take it forward. You know what I mean? Yeah. And be impeccable in your way, like be good and kind and you're going to make mistakes, but ask yourself to to do things the best you can and then because when and then and then just also be easy on yourself but like you know love yourself for doing the best you can you're gonna (laughs) you're gonna do things wrong yeah ask for help ask you know have the courage to ask someone that knows more than you i i really took me a while to do that and things really opened up after i was willing to do that I love that. Have the courage to ask someone that knows more than you. It doesn't mean you're dumb or anything. It just means you're smart enough to, you know, <laughs> exactly. it, it'll save you five years and a lot of money. Like, um, <laughs> but I would also just say, like, doing something and failing, I've done it a million times. I've done it a lot of times. I A lot of things didn't fail that I did, and I was kind of lucky, but mostly... I did beat my head up against the wall a little bit. You know, I worked a lot. You got to commit, but I don't know. You got to commit. A commitment is not like five days. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it takes hard work. Like you say, it's, you build. I mean, I had a lot of days, a lot of things get built up and fall apart over and over again. And I think that has to happen a lot of times sometimes before you get to the point where you get to the other side, you know, like, um, yeah. 
basically, though, I think when my life got better and better is when I asked myself to just be the best I could be. Just be the best you can be. Mm-hmm. Quit making excuses. Don't make excuses for being shitty. Just don't be shitty. <laughs> In a nutshell, just don't be shitty. <laughs> because, you know, if you're building a business, if you're being a parent, if you're just being any person walking down the street, I don't know. Like, I'll find myself just road raging sometimes and just being like, what the good is this doing? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Blessings on your travels, sir. You got, <laughs> you kind of were on my side of the road, you know, like. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I love it. I'm realizing like a lot of us, we should share our, we should share our experiences because like that little song that it only takes a spark, you know, like. <laughs> It just takes one little success. You do one little thing right, and someone's like, I like that thing. And no matter what job you're doing, no matter what you're, you know, if you're right. landscaping, if you're singing a song, if you're, you know, you just, and also be sure that you're listening to hear that, to hear that someone likes what you're doing, because it only takes, I think, it just takes that lift to keep you able to go to the next lift that you need. You know what I mean? I think. Yeah. And so, cause I came from a really hard place and, and I kind of leapt into the void a little bit in a kind of desperation, but also just like, all right, I'm young, I'm strong. I want something other than this. And just for the record now I'm 58 and I'm strong but I'm not as strong as I used to be in some ways, but I'm stronger in my mind than I was. But I want something different than I'm doing every day right now. And now I have to make that move and I have to have the strength to be willing to give up this other way that I've been doing things, you know? Yeah. And yes. that, and so I'm kind of listening to my own self and saying all these be- things because, you know, change is hard. So changing. Change is hard. Yeah. Change is hard from wherever you're young. Even change from unhealthy things that we know aren't really good for us, that change of, you know, taking that leap into the unknown, because even things that are better for us or that are, you know, defined as better for us are are scary because they're not known. Yeah. And our, our little lizard brain is designed to keep us safe. <laughs> and just anything that has defined you, like it's hard to let go of it. Like for me. Yeah. You know, I am literally doing what I did when I was 25, you know, mm-hmm. except I'm doing it better. And I, I let like anybody else that'll take the potatoes off the stove do that. But right. <laughs> um, I need like physically, I need to take it easier. And so yeah. that's hard. That's a hard thing to admit. And it's that whole ego thing, right? Like, yeah. I, who am I? Like, I'm me when I was young. I'm me when I, I'm me now. I'm me with brown hair i'm me with gray hair i'm me with children i'm me without children i'm me with being needed i'm me not being wanted you know like i'm me i'm just be like so who am i i'm me i don't know i sure have so much appreciation i know i've always appreciated like my employees and my friends and my i don't know if it's this covid thing or what you know but i just i do wish that i had the appreciation you know, I wish I'd had it before. Like, I know the people that worked for me knew I was loving and caring, you know, but I was a little more of a jerk. But now I just really have a lot of appreciation for anybody that'll show up and do it with me, you know, like. Yeah. COVID. 
I'm sure really. I'll tell you what, it sure works. It sure works to just, to, you know, I've always been part of the workforce pretty much, but it sure works to, to, it motivates people to be respected and appreciated. Oh, yeah. And I just, you know, I was always a very hard worker and I would just, I was kind of passive aggressive, I think, for a lot, first 10 years of running my business, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. just aggressive and then passive aggressive and then. And then I got a little better and a little better. But now I just feel like, thank you so much. You know, like I realize, you know. Life has a beautiful, beautiful way, a, a beautiful recipe <laughs> for for all of that. How many times do you think, well, for myself, even not even trying to be critical, but it's just so different from the way I think or the way I've experienced things or the way I see the world. You know, you have a thought, why do they do it like that? Or... Just n- like you're saying, not even mm-hmm. appreciating the the flowers that bloom. And you just don't even, it's just your reality is your reality in any given time, right? And and then how often does something happen where you remember thinking that thought? Why do they? Or why is that? And then all of a sudden you're in a circumstance where you can see it and you can experience it. Mm-hmm. And how, just how beautiful that is. It's just a beautiful process of life. Yeah. I am, I would have to say, I think I have excelled at, at making lemonade out of lemons. I feel like I really have, I have really had some hard knocks over the years. Like, you know, early on in my business, like, you know, the IRS came and they were going to take everything. And like, I, you know, I had to work every single day for like 90 days to give them a certain amount of money and it was hard because I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't pay my payroll taxes and but COVID has really I don't know I don't want to die and I don't want people to be dying of it but it's been a real opportunity for me to um, it caused me to have to slow down close my restaurant I'd never closed I I never closed ever you know and (laughs) closing you know for two straight months a whole restaurant for two months I had no you know it was crazy just taken out of my life, you know, and uh, yeah, taken out of my life. But I'm grateful for some of the things that I've. I wouldn't trade it. I would like it to be done, <laughs> but I wouldn't trade it for how it made me able to stop and and then able to sit with my daughter and sit with my and walk my dogs and think and and then just be and help people and watch how people helped each other and you know. What a gift, Karen. Yeah, what an interesting thing to sit and talk all about yourself. Like, it's weird. but I, <laughs> I love it. Um, Thank you for doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can talk a lot, and I've had a lot of experiences, but I really appreciate your your idea. And I do want to say we can all help each other keep going yeah. forward into a better place. We got to take the time to do it, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I really appreciate you doing that, as for the record. <laughs> oh, um, thank you. Yeah, I feel I feel inspired by every interview I've done, and I'm so inspired by just listening to you and inspired by life. It reminds me that I just can't wait to hear Meredith. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I mean, I I just I have enjoyed every one of these and it's given me a lot of ideas yeah. for my own life and I you know, 
like perspective. I feel like it's like enhancing everything yeah. for me, which is something I'm grateful I need. And like you got some real candidates around here. There are a lot of people around here that are awesome. Do you have any songs that mean something to you that you would add to this list? You like it can be one or many. I mean, somewhere over the rainbow. Oh yeah. You know the song that Brenda Carlo sings. Uh, she, that I she, I love that song "Story" that she sings. Yeah. But um, but the one um, did I bring shame on my family? Showed I was weak. You know that song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the title, but we'll find that it. That was me. Mm-hmm. Um. Yep, I just listened to it the other day. When you lost that one. The toss it in my feet. I like that song a lot. It's saying, I really like them. I like both those songs quite a bit. And that's just about her. Somewhere Over the Rainbow is just a song of my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like my, I've been singing it my whole life. I sang it to my mom when she was dying. She asked oh. me to. Oh, um, <laughs> that's precious. I love that song. Just the way that it carries you through your life, you know. Mm-hmm. I've um, sung it my whole life too. That's funny. I mean, I haven't sung it for a while, but. Yeah, you're right. It's been there uh, along the way. I love the Dolly Parton song and version of I Will Always Love You, you know. Oh, yes. Because I love where that, just what inspired that. and What did inspire that? Because she was on that TV show with the guy with the weird blonde hair and all the outfits. Very famous guy whose name I can't think of. Um, <laughs> but it was like the first TV show she was on, big deal TV show. Uh-huh. In her, in her separating from that TV show where he had kind of railroaded her in some ways and she wanted to be loving and kind. But basically that song was about her separating from him and that mo- and that TV show. Oh, wow. Um, it wasn't about a big love affair. It was, although they may have had a romance, I'm not sure. But basically I'll always love you, but I gotta go. Yeah. Um, and Just so, so a part of this life experience. Yeah. I'll always love you. I love Dolly. I love her writing. And uh, and then also Sweet Old World by Lucinda Williams. Mm-hmm. I love that. So I did I, for years, like 10 different times I went to this guitar workshop thing. But when I got this house, like I come to this house and then like I, I've been venturing out a little bit from here. Mm-hmm. But I come here a lot. Like when I'm like, this is kind of my respite, you know, so. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I'm looking forward to listening to all of the people you interviewed. I'm really inspired <laughs> by just the whole inspiration of it all. And I don't know. And it makes me also think your story matters. So be careful how you live it. Like, do, you know, be mindful of your story. Yeah. Um, I love that. Yes. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, too. Really nice to meet you, too. It's so good to meet you. Yes. Thank you for joining me today. Would you hit the subscribe button and follow along? And then would you please pause and leave a five-star review? I'd be extra grateful. It helps me tremendously. Also, would you please share this podcast with one person you know of that is looking to start a new career or looking for a side hustle or starting over? Also, you can follow me on Instagram at The Ruthie Podcast. I'll keep you posted there. And remember to check out The Ruthie Podcast playlist on Spotify. Now, go make today great. Explore, experience, then take it all on the inside and ask, now what? What?